It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And I am Don Crawford Jr., the grateful owner of KWM Radio and co-host of this Estate Planning Essentials program. And I am sitting attentively with my co-host, my attorney, my very good friend, who should be at least your attorney. That is our Estate Planning Essentials attorney, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How are you doing this summer day? I'm doing fine. This is great. We're into June now. When I lived in California, they'd call it June gloom because it'll always be cloudy and foggy and drizzly and dewy outside. And there's no June gloom here. This is a joyful place, a joyful state. And I've got lots of joy in my heart, Michael. That's wonderful. And I'm, I think a lot of those Californians are coming here to Texas. Though. They sure are. And they're finding out there's no June gloom here. And they're getting twice the home for half the money. I <laughs> see. It's why our homes are appreciating, which is the silver lining to it all. But um, today, Michael, you wanted to talk about uh, a typical topic. And you told me it was called common myths of Medicaid. And I thought you said myths, but there are misses. Misses are myths because myths create the misses and people presume certain things about Medicaid and you want to correct them on that. Yeah, especially about long-term care Medicaid. So what's long-term care Medicaid? Usually if you get eligible for Medicaid, Medicaid okay, the government will help pay for your long-term care costs. Okay. The reason why that's important is the average the average facility in Texas, it costs over $7,000 a month for care. You, when we started this show five or 10 years ago, I know you were saying in the fives. Yeah. So here yeah, we yeah. are in the sevens. Yeah. Now. And a lot of places are over ten, eleven thousand dollars $11,000 a month. So Texas and, is lower? Uh, and Texas is lower. If you go to someplace like uh, New York, let's right. say you're in Manhattan, right. oh, I, or I'm sure Hawaii, or, right. uh, can you imagine how much more it is? Oh. It's It's got to be a lot more there than it is here. So we're one of the lower states. If you move to another state, can you imagine what the cost of care? It could easily be uh, $14,000 a month. You know, you're right. When my uh, grandmother uh, had to go into a facility, unfortunately, at the age of 85, uh, and she lived to be almost 98. Mm, At that time, it was only $5,000 a month, but that's $780,000 over that 13 years. Wow. So most people, this is why it becomes important, because if you don't have long-term care insurance or don't have adequate income or assets, then how are you going to pay for the cost of care? Most people don't have that much. And as we live longer, there's the more likelihood that bad things are going to happen. So uh, it gets to be very costly, and most people don't have insurance. Uh, And most, so the first myth is that Medicare is going to take care of me. Au contraire. Mm -hmm. Medicare, the only limited amount of coverage is if you have a three-day hospitalization stay, then you'll get 20 days fully paid, generally rehab, 
and then up to an additional 80 days copay. So in other words, the most you could get is perhaps 100 days. Now, I say perhaps between days 21 and 100, uh, they look to see if your condition is that they could stop it from declining. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times there's this myth. They say, oh, are you improving? Mm-hmm. But that's uh, – that people, it's on the old wives' tale. It's not the actual law. But we went over this with a client this week where the facility told them, oh, you're no longer improving, and so therefore we're going to cut off the Medicare. And so they could cut it off anywhere between days 21 and 100. But the actual – so a lot of times you have to fight and say, no, or you, you could appeal and say, no, there's the law, actual law that if you look at the government website, it's in bold print because there was a lawsuit during the Obama administration about this. It's only if you're stop if you can't stop somebody from declining. Now you should also have a Medicare supplement, by the way. Otherwise, there's this copay, which is pretty expensive, uh, 170 something dollars a day. Okay. So that that's just the copay. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that. So anyway, Medicare. Don't rely on Medicare for your long-term care, whether it's care at a nursing home or care at assisted living or care at home. Don't I mean, there could be some limited situations for care at home where they come out and check your blood pressure, check her on something, this or that uh, after a hospitalization, but it's very limited. So a lot of times you have to look to Medicaid to help pay for that care, and Medicaid has its own rules regarding income and assets and transfers. We talked last week about gifting and how that could be affecting Medicaid uh, So, because there's a look-back period. So there's a lot of different things. So myth number one, don't rely on Medicare for your long-term care. And caveat number one is to look into that little thing called insurance. You have car insurance, we hope. You consider life insurance. Well, consider long-term care insurance, too. Well, I'm too young. I don't need to do that right now. I don't even have health care where I work. That's your choice, although that's a little reckless because you never know when you're going to need it. But as you get older, consider long-term care insurance. Now there's been a trend, too, about hybrids, by the way. Um, You mentioned life insurance and annuities. Mm. Um, So there are products where you can say, you know, long-term care insurance, it's kind of like term life insurance. You use it or you lose it. Right. Uh, So you pay these premiums. If you never need a long-term care, well, you're out. Right. So so they've come up with these different products like uh, where you buy the effect of, it's a kind of a combination of a life insurance policy or annuity that converts into an immediate annuity to pay for your long-term care if you should need it to the extent that you haven't used it. So in other words, let's say you bought a life insurance policy, like a whole life policy, where it had some sort of cash value. Mm-hmm. If you need the money, you could borrow against it. Uh, on the other hand, if you died, well, your beneficiaries get the life insurance. Uh, if you now, what to the extent that you haven't used it, uh, if um, you need long-term care, it converts into an immediate annuity that pays income for that care cost. So there are different types of products that could be investigated. I do not sell insurance, but I'm telling. But we, these are things that we have to sometimes go over. And a lot of times when we have that situation we say, oh, you know, talk to your insurance agent or we can refer you to somebody. It doesn't matter. But you're right. You have to look at your individual situation. Uh, Often, though, uh, people either don't think about it or it becomes too costly or Mm -hmm. they don't pass in underwriting. So in this situation, the one that we had that I was just thinking about, uh, the person was uh, maybe 
maybe 60 years old, 50, 60s, but they'd had some sort of condition since birth. And there was an issue that he had had uh, several years ago, although he's okay now, but he probably won't pass underwriting. Mm. So now we have to think about Medicaid. Good point. Or if you're older, it's too expensive because if you're right. in your 80s, you say, well, you're really close to needing that long-term care insurance. So, or, or, And it, so now it becomes more, just like life insurance, the older you get, the more expensive it is because the more likelihood of death or disability. Or they're going to they yeah. give you a physical and you're going to fail it miserably and then <laughs> yeah. your premium <clears throat> premium just goes up through the roof. So right, 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 not right. worth it. Yeah, well, I mean, either you either pass underwriting or you don't right. and you might not get it. So a lot of times people have mm. to rely on public benefits, whether it's Medicaid or VA. Uh, so veterans, sometimes if you're a widow of a wartime veteran or if mm. you're the veteran serving during war, or if you, there are, there are other situations, there's lots of VA programs, but today we're talking about Medicaid. There are lots of Medicaid programs. There's 109 Medicaid programs oh in gosh. Texas, each with their own rules. In Texas alone. Yeah. Wow. I don't think we're going to have enough time to go through no, that. No, probably today. not. We need a three days, four days maybe, <laughs> but that is scary though. So I'm going to make sure I heard you clearly in this. I didn't realize this. One, you have to pass the physical and then two, what you pay Depends upon your health, or it doesn't work that way. Well, no, it really depends more on your age, probably. Age, oh right, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, so if you pass, um, it, it's uh, your, you know, you could get the insurance, right? But, um, but the older you are, obviously, the closer you are to needing long-term care. And so the premiums rise. So if you get something in your fifties, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot cheaper than if you get something in your early eighties. So age is one thing. So let's say pre-existing. Uh, condition shouldn't matter to the insurance well, company they legally. Will, they will look at your situation before they give you insurance. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. you had cancer or yeah. you had some other well, ailment, I mean, you know, COVID? I, I'm, I'm going, uh, you know, if, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to a doctor in, before, uh, in a couple of weeks and uh, one thing, they ask a million questions. I and bet. I'm thinking, uh, when's the last time you had a bone density change? Check. And I said, I've never had one. But, uh, well, why would that be important? Well, for the insurance, if you had osteoporosis or something like that, you're more likely to fall and you may need more likely to need care. So they're going to ask all these different types of questions. The doctor, it was a different story for... Um, anyway, to, to ask a 31-year-old man that kind of question is really amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, apparently, I think you could have bone density at a younger age, and and, right. and they check it to right. see what the likelihood would be in the future. And they're getting to be more. Wow. More, I was kidding. Of course, you're in your 60s, I yeah, think. Well, right. Yeah, yeah, right. So right. I understand. Wow. But, but really, you can do bone density checks because it, uh, it might be uh, something uh, that may be, you know, something for the future. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And, and, yeah, I think that's one of the concerns you have about some of these new uh, scans, you yeah. know, body scans and right. things like that. Right. You'd be careful what you ask for because you might find out, oh, do I want to know? Uh, I had somebody, unfortunately, her mom had died of Alzheimer's, uh, and she was thinking, oh, gee, but she wanted to know. And she just wasn't remembering things like she used to. And so she tested and she, it was in the early, the, you could see oh, the gray. Oh. Now, now let's say you wanted to get long, oh. long-term care insurance. Well, now that you've had that test, will the insurance company know about that? And now you can't get insurance. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> I 
try as you may to stay healthy. You just never know what you're going to be born with, what's going to be genetic and hereditary. And I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you're made the joke about the bone density, but you got to be careful because yeah. they can really look at it, but could come back to haunt you it even. really could. Wow. On your insurance, you might not be able to get it if you find out you had that. Yeah. Well, look into this now for sure. It's very, very important. This is why we have you attend Michael's workshops. They're, the next one is June the 18th, which is a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. And they're free. They're in person. And Michael's been doing them for years. So they're like second nature for him. But they're very important, if not monumental for you and yours, if you bring others with you to ask questions for Michael. Everybody gets to ask at least one question to go around the horn and say, well, how can I help you? And Michael will, with his uh, keen insight, will give you as much information as he can. And Michael, these are very helpful, not just for the, the listeners, but for you as well. Well, I, it's interesting to know what people want to know. In fact, I wish that, you know, uh, if y'all get, have questions for future shows, you let the radio station know. I, uh, I would love to talk about whatever it is that people want to know. Mm-hmm. I, I, the one reason why I enjoy the workshop, just like I enjoy this radio show, is I never know what we're going to talk about right. exactly. Mm-hmm. I never know what questions you're going to be, you're going to ask me. Mm-hmm. And same thing at the workshop. I never know what questions are going to be asked. But the good news is, Usually we could discuss it and go is goes into discussion and you learn something that you didn't think that you were going to learn going into the workshop. Uh, anyway, uh, you'll find it's a lot of fun too. You'll see that the time flies by. It's two hours. It's free. You learn from others. We provide donuts and coffee and a free KAAM coffee free. mug. No which charge. Is the, yeah, no charge for that. Who can ask for anything more? Yes, that's why most people go. But a lot of people still want to know about their own estate planning uh, and what to do and what can, how can they protect. Or maybe in this case, we're talking about long-term care and Medicaid. It may be that people want to know about that. To attend the free, the next free estate planning essentials workshop, which is on June 18th at 10 o'clock in the morning, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. Or call that 214-720-0102 number uh, to go to the free estate planning essentials workshop, which we'll ask you whatever you want to know. And if you do go to that free estate planning essentials workshop, we give you one more bonus and one more hour of free education individually when we go over your own situation, if you would like. It's up. It's no obligation. No. Uh, just if you want to, you're able to. And if you don't, that's okay too. It's a private meeting. It's not like you're sitting with 20 other people that you might at the estate planning essentials workshop. So three free hours of Michael Cohen's invaluable time. So take advantage of that and attend that next workshop on June the 18th. Michael, what else can you tell us about the myths of Medicaid? Well, you know, a lot of people think you have to be poor to be on Medicaid. Okay. That Originally, that's the way it was designed yeah. in the early 60s mm-hmm. or mid-60s when the Johnson administration. Whatever poor means. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I mean, if you're single, you have to have less than $2,000 of countable resources. Okay. But there are certain things that do not count. Where you're married... You could protect a lot more assets. So especially if you're married, because there are certain laws that prevent spousal impoverishment, it could be that somebody has hundreds of thousands of dollars, not even including IRAs if you have required minimum distributions, 
not including your homestead, which is generally the most expensive asset. Generally, sure. Uh, if you're married, it doesn't. You could have. You could have. A, there's no limit to the value of a home if you're married. Now, most people who have high means don't even think about Medicaid. Mm-hmm. But technically, when they changed the laws in the late '80s, it became uh, no longer a necessarily a a program for the poor, but for the middle class. Okay. So if you have inadequate long-term care insurance, we have plan B, and that is Medicaid. But to get to eligible for Medicaid, we have to go by the Medicaid rules. And so uh, you don't have to be broke, especially if you're married, to get eligibility for these public benefits. So remember what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show, the average cost of care is over $7,000 a month. And most people don't have that, uh, either that income or they don't have uh, on a monthly basis or they don't have sufficient assets. Or if they did and they live for a longer period of time, uh, then it could eat up all their assets. All right, so that's myth number two. You don't have to be broke to be eligible for, I mean, to be necessarily eligible for Medicaid because there are certain things that you could buy that do not count. They give it like bankruptcy law. Mm -hmm. So your home doesn't count. Mm -hmm. Car doesn't count. I just mentioned IRA. Mm -hmm. If you've had required MIM distributions, do not count. Um, There are certain personal property items don't count, everyday living type things. Does it matter if you own your home free and clear or not versus if you have a mortgage? Well, this it's interesting you should mention that because if you had more assets and you had a mortgage, you could pay down the mortgage as part of your spend down if you're single, for right. example, to reduce your assets. So because the home doesn't count, not only do I not only have to make the mortgage payments, but I have reduced my assets by paying down or we're eliminating the mortgage. Got it. Okay. So there's a lot to it. and then, But then afterwards, uh, as we've talked about on prior shows, the state may have a right to make a claim against the home after death. So that's why we do those ladybird deeds, or sometimes people do transfer on death deeds, or sometimes we do other things with the property. There's other options we may have. It depends on how far in advance you plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times people, we have somebody right now, I said, look, I want to be able to sell my home in the future, but I don't want to lose the um, step up in basis or or the capital gains ex, uh, exclusion that I have for as far as gain. So I may have uh, create a certain type of trust mm-hmm. where I have elements of control so that if I sell property, I get the uh, no capital gains tax, yet it doesn't cause an asset for Medicaid and it can be passed to my children. I see. Yeah, so there's, it gets a little complicated, but it, these are the type of things that we might talk about at a workshop if people ask the questions. They say, well, gee, I never thought about that. Right. You know, so I never knew that there was such a trust. I only think of revocable trusts, which do not work for Medicaid. We, I think we may have done a show on three reasons why revocable, maybe we didn't, but there's a few different reasons why you do not use a revocable trust in connection with Medicaid. Interesting. If we have time, we'll talk about it today. If not, we'll, we'll talk about it another time. Perfect. Uh, but anyway, so... So, uh, yeah, so a myth, I guess, might be there. I'll add another myth. Do not use revocable trust in connection with Medicaid. That would be a myth. Okay. I'd say we've got about eight or nine minutes, so you decide what what you want to address. Okay. Well, another one is, you know, gifting. We talked about last week's show about different reasons for gifting, uh, and we talked about how on gift tax law, you give up to $16,000 a year per person Mm -hmm. without reporting to the IRS. However... That doesn't mean anything in connection with Medicaid. Medicaid says if you make a gift within five years, 
We think you did it on purpose to get eligible for our Medicaid. Now, there are some exceptions to every rule, like if you have a disabled child or somebody blind, or sometimes we could even do, let's say you have grandchildren we want to give to a uniform transfers to minors account or certain 529s. There are exceptions to the rules. There's no transfer penalty between spouses because they look at the assets of both the husband and wife. So there are certain exceptions to the rules. But for the most part, if you make a gift, and you apply to Medicaid within five years, it's an anti-fraud statute. In other words, they say, you did this on purpose to get eligible for Medicaid because Medicaid is means-tested. They look at your assets. You gave away that money. So if you had that stroke four years after you made that gift to the grandchildren or your children, and a gift is not only just in uh, giving certain cash. Maybe you paid their car insurance, mm-hmm. or maybe you paid their mortgage, or maybe you paid... Uh, something for a grandchild for a wedding, any type of thing. That's even if you pay directly to the caterer, mm-hmm. well, that's a gift. That's not you're, you're doing this for somebody else's benefit. And then within five years, if you had to apply for Medicaid, the presumption is guilt. The presumption is that you did it on purpose to get eligible for Medicaid because it's means tested. So the government can be deemed, in this case, somewhat heartless. And in this case, no good deed goes unpunished, regardless of how kind and altruistic you wanted to be. You can't. They're saying you're trying to get away with something. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you even see that some kids as I've they they're unfortunately a lot of the elder abuse is like the closest people to the family. And so let's say a child takes money from parent, mm-hmm. and ch- parent didn't even know it. Oh boy. Well. How do you prove that that wasn't a gift? Mm-hmm. Well, you may press criminal charges. If you press criminal charges, you could say this was not done uh, intentionally to be a gift. This person just took funds. So, so sometimes we have them do a police report on the, I'll call it elder abuser. Right. Uh, so, wow. uh, yeah, so because we don't want it to be a penalized event because the child took funds. I wonder who would, if you could sue that child. Upon the death of the person they took the funds from, can you sue them? Can you sue the estate? It's conversion, work? you know. I mean, you take funds that didn't belong to you. It's uh, yeah. it's kind of it's considered it's conversion. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, goodness gracious. Okay, yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. to hear that. All right, these yeah. things can get messy and very painful. All right, great news. You inherited all this money. Well, no, there's a lot of strings attached. Another myth is you have to. I have too much income to be eligible for Medicaid. Okay. Now the actual rule is. As long as your income is less than the cost of care, then that's not too much income. In Texas, we do have an income cap, $2,523, but who's counting? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's triple the SSI supplemental security income rate. But we could do what's called a qualified income trust, or if you're old like me, we used to call Miller Trust, or now they're also called QIT. So you put the income into the trust. So if your income, let's say typically Social Security or a pension income, Sometimes, if you're IRA, if you have RMDs, required minimum distributions, uh, then that would be income, uh, and it was a non-countable resource. If you're having those RMDs, then that would be if your income exceeds twenty-five, twenty-three a month, uh, then you're ineligible. But let's say it's less than that seven thousand uh, over seven thousand dollars on the average cost of care of the facility. 
Well, if it's less than the 7,000, you could do the QIT, Qualified Income Trust, put the income the trust. So the myth that you have too much income to qualify for Medicaid is incorrect. Now, that's different than if it was just SSI, Supplemental Security Income. So sometimes people are disabled from birth or whatever or have never worked or are very work very limited, and they get and they're just disabled. So you could be a 30-year-old that's just disabled. If their income uh, is over if you're single, $841 a month, then um, you cannot do a qualified income trust for that particular Medicaid program. So it depends. Remember, I told you there's 109 Medicaid programs, so each have their own rules. So you can't do a a qualified income trust for supplemental security income, but if you have long-term care, whether you're in a nursing home or let's say you have care at home and the rules are different on those two, there's two different Medicaid programs too. Uh, the rules are different on how you treat that income. Okay. So anyway, so the myth is you don't, I have too much income for Medicaid may not be applicable. And one final thing that I'm going to mention, and that is, Whatever the rules are for my friend, it works for me. You have a friend in California. You have a friend in Pennsylvania. The laws in each state are different. Just like we talked about those filial responsibility laws uh, on a prior show, the laws of each state are different. So, uh, for example, on the expansion of the protected resource amount where I told you you if you're married and you could have hundreds of thousands of dollars perhaps and the well spouse – that could keep and still there be eligibility for Medicaid. Those rules are different in different states. You can't do that. Well, Texas is very generous in that respect. Um, so we're, we're, the rules are different. Also, uh, if you're in California, the rules are different regarding gifting. Uh, and of course, the rules are uh, regarding gifting are different in every state because uh, in, in Texas, for, they look at the average cost of care. Well, the average cost of care in every state is different. So the divisor is different. In some states, if you go to, let's say, New York, they have it by region. Mm -hmm. So if you're in Manhattan, it's going to be more expensive than if you're in upstate New York. Uh, if you're in Rochester, it's going to be less expensive than Manhattan. Sure. So the um, uh, they look at the they have it regionalized there because it's so different in, in varied costs. Although you would think so in a way, there we here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, we're kind of discriminated against because it may be more expensive in Dallas and Fort Worth than it is in Muleshoe. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, the point is that Texas is not Minnesota, is not California, is not Pennsylvania. It's funny you mentioned Pennsylvania. When I grew up there for the 18 years, I think the theme or the license plate or something was you've got a friend in Pennsylvania and you just echoed that. I don't know if you said that subconsciously or not, but I don't know if I have friends in Pennsylvania. I think I have a few, but the point is that one of the great presidents used to say, trust but verify. I want to trust every single thing I'm told on the internet, what people tell me, but I want to verify it. And I think in writing really helps, whether it's a website or coming from Michael Cohen. That's the best verification I can recommend to anybody. And to that end, to make the step in the right direction to ensure that you are protected while you're alive and when you pass away, your heirs, people around you that you love, attend his next workshop on June the 18th which is a Saturday morning. That's a workshop that's in person off of 635 and 75. I still speak in numbers, not the names of freeways. And that's in the morning, so there won't be any traffic, free donuts, free coffee coffee mugs, you name it. And you get to ask questions about estate planning and government assistance. Dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, or go to Dallas Elder 
Law or lawyer? Lawyer. My screen just went blank on me as soon as we're talking. Dallas Elder Lawyer. And it says Elder because this man specializes. I don't know if he can memorize all 109 Medicaid programs, but he's pretty intelligent and he understands this and he'll know what works best for you. He understands the Baskin Robbins out there and he tells you what the options are. Then you choose accordingly. So attend his next workshop on June the 18th, dial 214-72001-02. Dallas Elder Law Attorney Michael Cohen, I thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.